If you are watching this video live, then today is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day Sunday is in the top three highest attendance days for church worship, right up there with Christmas and Easter. Even if dad or the grown kids don't normally attend worship service, they all go with mom on Mother's Day and then take her out for lunch. Some of you moms may have thought about that this week as we are still living under a stay-at-home order. And even if it didn't consciously come to your mind, our subconscious still grieves the loss. This is not going to be a typical mom is great Mother's Day sermon. We are going to continue our series, Grieving with Hope. And today we will address what many of us are feeling, loss. This was one of the most emotionally difficult sermons for me to prepare and now deliver. So my prayer now is that our God who heals the brokenhearted uses this time to heal us. Our story is the story of Tamar and her brother Amnon. This is a story that gets skipped in children's Bible class because it's about rape and incest, two very tragic events. How does someone even begin to grieve with hope from a situation like that? First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14 says, Christians do not grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Humans naturally grieve death and loss, but hope in grief is possible. To grieve with hope, I have to believe in the resurrection. Now, before we read the scripture, let's understand our characters. Tamar and Amnon are children of King David, probably adult children. His daughter, Tamar, is David's daughter with his wife, Micah. And Amnon is David's son by his wife, Ahinoam. So they are half-siblings. 2 Samuel 13, 1-19 says, Some time passed. David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and David's son Amnon was infatuated with her. Amnon was frustrated to the point of making himself sick over his sister Tamar because she was a virgin, but it seemed impossible to do anything to her. Amnon had a friend named Jonadab, a son of David's brother, Shemiah. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. And he asked Amnon, Why are you, the king's son, so miserable every morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon replied, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend you're sick. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare a meal in my presence so I can watch and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, Please 
let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my presence so I can eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace. Please go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare a meal for him. Then Tamar went to his house while Amnon was lying down. She took dough and kneaded it, made cakes in his presence, and baked them. She brought the pan and set it down in front of him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, Everyone leave me, and everyone left him. Bring the meal to me in the bedroom, Amnon told Tamar, so I can eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes she had made and went to her brother Amnon's bedroom. When she brought them to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come, sleep with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she cried. Don't disgrace me, for such a thing should never be done in Israel. Don't commit this outrage. Where could I ever go with my humiliation? And you, you would be like one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Please speak to the king, for he won't keep me from you. But he refused to listen to her, and because he was stronger than she was, he disgraced her by raping her. So Amnon hated Tamar with such intensity that the hatred he hated her with was greater than the love he had loved her with. Get out of here, he said. No, she cried, sending me away is much worse than the great wrong you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. Instead, he called to the servant who waited on him. Get this away from me. Throw her out and bolt the door behind her. Amnon's servant threw her out and bolted the door behind her. Now Tamar was wearing a long-sleeved garment because that is what the king's virgin daughters wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long-sleeved garment she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away crying out. So what's happened? Amnon at some point has become attracted to his beautiful half-sister. Now, attracted to is to say it mildly. He thinks he's in love. But his actions would prove that he's really just dealing with lust. Have you ever wanted something or someone so badly that it or they were all you could think about? That's where Amnon is. He is so obsessed over her that he's making himself sick. But Tamar's beauty is not just in her physical features. The text says that Tamar has remained a virgin. She is keeping herself pure for God and for marriage. She's not someone to sexually fool around with any man, especially a relative. So Amnon is frustrated. But Amnon has a sneaky wingman, his cousin, who's going to help him get over. The plan is for Amnon to pretend to be sick and ask that Tamar bring him some food. Once they are alone together in his bedroom, let nature take its course. 
Amnon goes through with the plan. And once she's in his room, he grabs her strongly. She is caught. He commands her to sleep with him. Tamar speaks just as strongly to her attacker. Don't do this. You are my brother. She tells him it's against our covenant with God. It's both a foolish thing to do and a crime. She says the result of this act would be a feeling of shame for her, and everyone would call Amnon a stupid, vile person. Literally, they would rename him Nabal, which was the nickname of a foolish man from their family history. She then offers a compromise. Talk to dad. He will let us get married. Now, Tamar is probably trying to trick Amnon with this offer because that would not be a legitimate marriage. But if she can get him distracted, maybe she can get away. But Amnon is not listening, and he overpowers her and rapes her. And after his lust is fulfilled, he realizes that he didn't really love her in the first place. I mean, how do you sexually brutalize someone that you love? Tamar, even being in his presence, crying and bleeding, makes him also realize what an evil and stupid person he really is. So he has her kicked out with the door locked behind her. I read that and I just say, wow. I mean, do you see why this story isn't for young children? Tamar has gone through extreme trauma of rape and incest. She fought with her physical strength and mental skill, but was physically overpowered and then kicked to the curb. She lost. Now, as we move into application for us, I don't want anyone to think I'm minimizing the trauma of rape. Every 73 seconds, someone in the United States is sexually assaulted. One out of every six women in the United States has been the victim of attempted or completed rape. One out of every 10 rapes in the United States is done to a male. And those statistics hurt my soul. If you are one of the people who has experienced that trauma, I want you to know your grief is valid and there is hope. But at the same time, today I also want to be able to speak hope to those people who have experienced a different or lesser form of trauma and loss. So let's look at what Tamar lost in that moment. Tamar lost trust. Even in a blended family, your bigger, stronger brother is supposed to protect you, not abuse you. Have you ever lost your trust in another person? Tamar lost respect. We like to say that respect needs to be earned, but I also can't forget that respect can be removed even if it is deserved. You know, speaking from personal experience as a black man in the United States, I have felt dehumanized and disrespected undeservedly. We don't have all the facts yet, but just this week it appears Hamad Abari, a black man, was shot to death for jogging in a neighborhood. There is video, and police know who the shooters are, but the time we're recording this, uh, 
they just now decided to arrest these men. Now, that's not the same as rape, but it is an event and a person that is a loss to be grieved. Now, Tamar also lost control. She wasn't out of control. It's her control of self was taken from her. And again, this example is not to the level of rape, but I think this feeling of loss of self-control, the loss of self-power, is one of the things driving people to fight against the stay-at-home orders. We don't like to be made to do things we don't want to do, and especially things that are perceived or actual hurt. In our grief, we fight in anger. Tamar lost dignity. Now, this is not a matter of pride, but self-perception. She saw herself rightly as a pure princess, but now, although still a princess, she feels ashamed. You know, today, the person who used to be able to go to work and provide for themselves and their family now maybe can't go to work. Now, this person is still a good worker, but perhaps feel shame when they can't provide for their family. You know, when I have to go to the community food shelf, when I have to apply for a government handout to keep the business I built open. You know, have you ever lost your dignity? Tamar lost her virginity. This was a physical part of herself, potentially a gift to be given and shared because the human body is sacred to God. And again, my example is not quite the same, but how do we process the trauma when we lose a part of our physical selves, whether it be due to sickness, you know, such as cancer or dementia or something else, or an accident, or just old age, or crime done to us, or even my own foolishness? Have you ever felt less sacred? Tamar lost her innocence. She goes into this experience just being obedient to her father. She has been doing all the right things, living morally, and still something wicked happens to her. We need to remember that not every bad thing that happens to me is a punishment. There is evil in the world. As a father, I try to protect my daughters from it. I pray that nothing as bad as rape ever happens to them. But, you know, even in elementary school, my daughter has experienced loss of dignity. We dealt with it, but part of her innocence was kind of lost in the pro- in the experience. And Tamar lost her family. This is different than trust. This act that was done to her is going to have ramifications through the whole household. Relationships are now broken. And unfortunately, that happens in families all the time, and it doesn't take rape to do it. It's caused by perhaps someone's death. It's caused by divorce. It's caused by arguing over money. So in all this loss, where is the hope? Tamar seeks hope through how she expresses her grief. And she expresses her grief by tearing her expensive royal dress and putting ashes on her head. Both of these things, the tearing of the clothing and the wearing of ashes, are public Israelite signs for mourning the dead, extreme grief, and a sign of blasphemy against God. And she cries. 
She publicly expresses her grief in both her cultural way and personal way. Tamar has what I call open grief, and that lets people know she has experienced loss and needs support. Tamar is rightly responding to grief. Now, our culture barely gives people permission to grieve. It's supposed to be personal and private, quiet and quick, but there could be healing in my wailing. Shedding emotional tears releases oxycotin and endorphins, so crying begins the healing of my brain. And my cry also lets others know that I need support. You know, once I was leading music Sunday morning and started to break down, one of the women in my congregation, Lynette, told me after service, I knew right then that your grandfather had died. And I told Hans, her husband, his grandfather died, and I was praying for you. That meant so much to me in my grief. You know, whatever the trauma, rape, abuse, death, sickness, Racism, loneliness, I need to remember that some grief comes upon me through no fault of my own, and it is right to express it. Perry Noble, in his book, Overwhelmed, writes, Whatever is tearing you up inside, stop hiding it. The sooner you ask for help and admit you need other people, the sooner you will find relief. And Psalm 34, 17 through 20 says it this way. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. The one who is righteous has many adversaries, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Now, if I was just here to give a self-help talk on grief, what I've said already might be enough. But I want everyone to know that Tamar points us to a far greater hope. Tamar in her grief is a picture of our Savior Jesus Christ, the source of all hope. If there's any trauma that I would rank higher than rape, it would be the torture of ancient Roman crucifixion. Jesus was no wimp but he grieved openly in the last 24 hours of his life, both before and during his execution. Matthew 26, 36 through 38 says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Jesus, in his grief, wants his disciples with him, supporting him, praying with him. Matthew twenty-seven forty-six says this about when Jesus is on the cross. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Here, Jesus openly expresses his grief to God the Father. And still on the cross, John 19.28 says, After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. 
Jesus on the cross can't even get himself a drink without help. This open grief not only demonstrates the humanity of Jesus, but also the hope we have through him because Jesus grieved openly while also having full confidence of his resurrection. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says that Jesus is one who can sympathize with our weaknesses. I'm summarizing here. Because he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And because of this, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness and receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. In open grief, we find support from other people and we can find hope in God who understands and is able to save and heal completely. I believe in the resurrection, so I grieve with hope. Let's pray together from Psalm 31. Lord, I seek refuge in you. Let me never be disgraced. Save me by your righteousness. Listen closely to me. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of refuge for me, a mountain fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. You lead me and guide me for your name's sake. You will free me from the net that is secretly set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord, God of truth. The course of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant and save me by your faithful love. Amen. If you made a decision to place your hope in Jesus today for the first time or taking a new step in your journey with Jesus, I'd love to hear from you in the comments, on the text line, or on the connection card. I also encourage everyone to take some time and reflect on today's message. Let me know one thing that resonated with you, one thing that challenged you, one thing you want to learn more about, and maybe one thing you want to do based on how God may have spoken to you today.